Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans... Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Oh, Langston, Langston, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? How's uh, Oklahoma City treating you? <laughs> uh,. Oklahoma City is treating me just fine, despite their uh, low ranking on the healthiest cities of America list. Um, do what you can to, to change I, I, that. I'm going to do what I can by going out and walking the, you know, uh, the Bricktown streets today, and can't uh, work up a good sweat. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, my partner in crime, Slam Magazine, and other various enterprises. Thank you for joining us here this week, uh, Lang. Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, um, so much going on in 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 a f- situation in the NBA right now. But before we even dive into that and and get rolling uh, on the playoffs, there are other things going on in the league. I mean, there you know the draft is is fast approaching. Um, there there are coaching searches underway right now in Houston, Los Angeles, Golden you know Golden State Warriors are looking for a coach. Right. All sorts of different things going on. So be- before we dive in there, have have you have you glanced at these other situations at all in terms of these coaching situations, and and do you have any idea who you'd like to see in these places, particularly in Houston, uh, you know, the Lakers and Golden State? Well, why don't why don't we ask an expert on this? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> why would we bother? Why would we bother getting your opinion when we can get uh, somebody who's <laughs> in the middle of the meat? Uh, Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle is. Uh, Trolling around Oklahoma City somewhere as well. Um, spend a little time with him here since we've uh, been here for games three and four to Western Conference Finals. And he's a guy that actually has to pay attention to these coaching searches for a living. Um, we just get to sit, a lot, sit around and speculate about him, but he's actually got to pay some real attention to him and do some homework and do some digging. Yeah, I, I was going to see if I could coattail off lying there, but he ducked that question. Did he, did he not? <laughs> I mean, is this... I mean, either he doesn't he didn't know this needed a new coach, um, or he just doesn't care, Jonathan. Well, I mean, what's the deal? Well, <laughs> you know, at, at this time of year, you know, you start talking about the Pacers and Warriors and Rockets, and <laughs> it's hard to care a whole lot compared to the Final Four that are going. But uh, you know, the Rockets are down to their final three picks. You know, Dwayne Casey here with the Mavericks. 
uh, Kevin McHale, kind of with you guys, I guess you'd say, and uh, Lawrence Frank, the Celtics assistant, former Nets coach. And uh, the owner of the Rockets gets back in town tomorrow, probably really digs into meetings and conversations on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, and there, there is really, it is a three-man race right now. There's not a favorite, because there really can't be, until they really lay out everything for the owner. And, of course, they could have done that all this time. It's not like he was off in the Himalayas or something. But <laughs> they've chosen, now. Nah, well, let's do it when we're all together. Let's, let's not... There's no need to do it like, you know, the night before the draft. You, that's it. There's going to be a draft the next day. This you can do when he's back. And so he's back tomorrow, and they're going to sit him down, and they're all going to meet and discuss, and he's met with the assistants and, you know, Casey and Frank, and they're going to try and come up with it. But in the end, as we all know, it's the owner who makes the pick. And the way the Rockets work and the way Leslie Alexander has always worked, you don't make a recommendation. You lay out all of your thinking, and then together you make a decision. But it's not like, I think we should buy this piece of equipment, or I think we should do this kind of marketing plan, or we should hire this coach. That's my recommendation. No, you go through the whole thing with him. He, he wants the information. And right. so that will all start maybe tomorrow, but more likely Wednesday. So, so, Jonathan, there's no real way to get any sense of who's kind of the leader in the clubhouse at this point? You know what? There's been reports of all three, you know, which <laughs> unless the Rockets were flip-flopping, which is possible. You know, I asked one guy once, <clears throat> you know, how could you not have an opinion? You guys have been working. You guys have talked to everybody. The research is, if you start asking around the league, you hear a lot about all the calls they're making. Everybody has opinions. How could you not have an opinion? And his answer was, because you get a lot of opinions. You talk to one guy who says, let's say it's a Lawrence Frank guy, somebody who's worked with him or he worked for, and he raves about Lawrence Frank, well, you get off the phone, you think, ooh, you know, that guy sounds good. And then you talk to the next guy, and you're thinking, well, you know, that Dwayne Casey, my gosh, maybe I ought to hire him. And he said, until you force yourself to make decisions, you're going to have lots of opinions, you're gonna, and it's going to be influenced by whoever you spoke with. And we've purposely tried not to narrow that choice down till we sit with the owner. And I think that's why there there might not be a leader among those three. Then the other thing that just jumps out at everybody is you got two guys with kind of a similar background, worked their way up as assistant coaches, didn't play in the league, long-serving, now working as the real defensive guy running a very good team's defense. And then you got Kevin McHale with a completely different background, Hall of Fame player, front office. You know, throughout his career, he was in the front office with only a few brief stints as a head coach, you know, with assistant mm-hmm. coach time. And you just sort of start to wonder, well, if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you like, how do you have the other two guys on the list? And if you like those other two guys, well, how do you have him? How, how does that mix? Uh, you know, and I, I don't know the answer to that, except that, we, as we all know, Kevin can be very impressive. You know, you sit and you visit with Kevin, and he knows his stuff, and he expresses right. it so well. He is an impressive guy. And you can understand why if a team's just looking through a bunch of candidates, they're going to be impressed with him. And then the resumes of the other two guys are, are pretty strong, too. Jonathan, how many different people have been interviewed total, I mean, that you, that you can confirm? You know, I wrote the number a few weeks ago. I think I got up to like 13 
that I confirmed, but I'd have to go back and look. Because there were another half dozen guys that they really were interested in, looked at hard, but never got to the point of an interview. Right. I think when you talk about interviews, you start doing Sam Cassell, Mario Ellie, Jack Sigma, uh, Kelvin Sampson. It adds up to, I think I got up to 13. Mike Woodson, uh, it's a pretty good number. I mean, I believe in due diligence, but really, are there are there that many guys that that a team would feel would be a good fit, or are they just kind of fishing in the pond for whatever they, you know, hoping that somebody blows their socks off? Well, I think a little bit of both. That you know, there's, yeah. there, there's why not kind of thing. Let, let's right. do the research if they want to meet with us, and we look at them and think we got stuff to talk about in a meeting. You know, like if you or I applied, we probably wouldn't have gotten an interview. <laughs> but in other words, they weren't out there just interviewing anybody who's ever had a job in the NBA. But right, right. you know, they you know these are guys who are working and doing good jobs and have good reputations and so on. Some of them have done great jobs. You know, a few guys. I know you could probably talk a lot about Woody and what he could have brought. And so, you know, they were interviewing qualified people. And again, it's kind of like the draft. It's not you know that analogy with the draft. Well, the draft's going to happen one day, whether you're ready or not. Here. You might as well do all the work you want to do. There's no deadline. You know, it's not right. like you got to have the guy hired by May 28th. You know, just so if you want to do another interview, do it. You know, there, there's not any pressing need that they feel. Now, we might get to the point where somebody makes an offer, let's say to Dwayne Casey. You know, Indiana's now interested in Dwayne Casey or Golden State. Well, while you were sitting there doing interviews and having meetings, he took an offer somewhere else. You don't want that to happen. But it doesn't look like it will. Now they're getting ready to start to to really make a choice. And I think the guys that they're interviewing, whichever one they make an offer to, will take it. Jonathan, I, we, there's been some talk about Rick Adelman possibly going to the Lakers. How do you think he would fit in out there? Almost perfect. I mean, he, he he's just such a great fit there in so many ways. The only thing that isn't a perfect fit is he's not a guy who relishes attention and a media spotlight, and you're going to get that there. Right. But other than that, what a great fit. He's a guy, the thing that is so impressive about him, when you're around him every day, he's not, a, you know, he's always got this reputation as the player's coach, right? A real mm. good player's coach. But he's not a hugger. He's not a guy who gets real tight with them. He, he doesn't give a lot of days off. He practices all the time. You know, how is he such a player's coach? Well, the reason is he gives people respect. He treats people with respect, and he earns their respect. I mean, players, mm-hmm. and you see this all the time, at a game coached by Rick Adelman, they respect him like crazy, and that increases throughout his time with that team. So, you know, anytime he's coaching and there's a player that once played for him on the other team, they can't start the game until that guy comes over and greets and visits Rick Adelman. And it just happens almost every night that, you know, Mike Bibby, no, no, sorry, Mike's not ready for the jump ball. He's over there talking to Rick. It's like that, you know, the Brad Miller one we used to joke about, can somebody please get him out of the locker room because there's a game tonight, and he's still in the visitor's locker room. You know, it just players just respect him like crazy. And you can't go succeed Phil Jackson, and you can't go coach Kobe Bryant unless you earn players' respect. And so that, to me, is the biggest thing. People talk about the similarities between Phil's offense and 
Rick's kind of motion-based offense as well, mm-hmm. and some of the corner action that is similar to the triangle. Yeah, that's real nice. But, you know, there's lots of good offenses. And in the fourth quarter, it doesn't matter if it's Phil Jackson or it's Rick Adelman or it's Brian Shaw or it's Sekou Smith. You're running pick and roll with Kobe handling the ball. You're, right? You're not running some triangle. You're saying, pow, set a screen for Kobe. Kobe, be Kobe. And so it's not about the offensive scheme. It's are you a really good coach? This guy's eighth all-time in coaching wins. Of the top ten, only Phil and Red Auerbach have a higher winning percentage. There's, you know, he got the Rockets up to 43 wins this year. The guy can really coach, and everybody who's played for him will tell you that. And I think that's what you have to do if you walk into that Lakers job. It might not be the best press conference ever held. Although, really, he's way better than his reputation, especially day-to-day. But, you know, he's not the glamorous celebrity. Mm-hmm. But so what? Win a game and win a championship. That's what it's about. You know, let Jim Buss say, you know, Dad, here's, I see your nice trophies over there. Well, boom, here's the one we just won for hiring the right coach. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he'd be just a great fit. I'd, I'd ask the, the ridiculous question of why in the world did the Rockets fire him, but we don't have uh, two hours to go into to all of that. What about what what about Yao, Jonathan? Like where is where does Yao fit into the picture for the Rockets uh going forward? Well he's months away from really knowing whether he can come back. You know, whether he'll be all right. But the injury he had this year is not a career threatening injury. The question becomes, does he have a confidence that he can keep playing and just not get hurt again? You know, is he gonna play another five games and get hurt again and start it all over again? He has to decide that. He insists he has, that he wants to try again. If he does want to try again, the Rockets want to sign him. They've, they've invested so many years and so much emotion in, in Yao, they just don't want him playing somewhere else. And right. so they're, they're going to try. And he wants to stay. I mean, he's made a home in Houston. And he's raising a family in Houston. Uh, he, he wants to be there if he plays. Uh, it's still up to Yao to say, yeah, I'm willing to risk it again. Will it happen again? But the kind of injury he had two years ago, that was a major and extensive surgery-type injury. This one, if he chooses to, he should be able to come back. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like it could be interesting, obviously, you know, in the next few weeks here. Um, very curious to see who the, not only who, you know, who the Rockets hire to coach that team, but where Rick Adelman lands, because he's, I mean, if he's, on, if he's high on the Lakers list, Jonathan, I would assume he's high on everybody's list who has an opening. Yeah, but he won't go just anywhere. You know, he'll, mm-hmm. he's, in other words, he's not like thinking, I've got to be a coach next year. He's got right. some family stuff. He's got some weddings this summer. He, he's talking about traveling in ways that you can't when you're a coach. And right. now the Lakers, and, you know, the thing I didn't mention, he's a guy from L.A. I mean, he, he's a guy from that area. He went to Loyola, then Loyola, now Loyola Marymount. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that for him would be, all right, let's do that. But I don't think he's just a guy who's going to throw his resume out there to anybody who's willing to read it. It's right. got to be the right thing for him. No question. Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle, uh, we appreciate you joining us on the Hangtime Podcast, sir. See you at the game. And, all uh, right. See you down we'll the enjoy the game. Right. Take care. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. I, you know, Lang, I never, I never really thought about that, that Rick Adelman – you know the LA connection for him that that makes yeah, it intriguing. Uh, you know, obviously he's 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 from old LA. He's from uh, if he went if he went to Loyola Marymount when it was just Loyola, 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's from the pre-Showtime Lakers LA. So he's, it's been a while, but that does, that does add another interesting twist to that whole uh, saga out there. It'll be interesting to see what, what Rick Adelman does and what the Lakers do. And like I said, what the Rockets do as well. Shifting gears from the the coaching search, uh, coaching searches, I guess, Lang, let's talk about these places, Uh, the Miami Heat, you know, with a, I, I didn't realize that once you go up a game in the first three that you all of a sudden have this commanding, you know, back breaking lead, but that's what I've, it's been categorized as, you know, now that they've, they've got a two games to one lead over the Chicago Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. Is Have we seen the real Chris Bosh now in this series with a couple of 30-point games and, and him kind of leading the charge for, for the, the South Beach boys? I think we're seeing the Chris Bosh, the heat hope they were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the real Chris Bosh is. I don't, I don't even know if Chris Bosh is sure about that just because he's – you know, it depends on matchups so much and who he's playing with. Is the Chris Bosh we saw in Toronto the real Chris Bosh? Is this, you know, what is? But I think the way he's played is what the Heat were hoping they were going to get all along. And, um, you know, he's he's had a real up and down season, but I, I thought the way he played last night was was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, do you do you feel like we've seen enough after three after three games? that it's clear Miami is the superior team or, I mean, I picked the Bulls to win it in six before they started assuming their depth would be maybe too much for the heat to handle that. That hasn't right. been as big an issue, obviously, as I thought it would be certainly with Udonis Haslin coming back. I mean, yeah. Uh, do you, I mean, does it look to you like the heat are just the better team? Well, I think they have the better players. You got to stop. You got to yeah. stop drinking and be while I'm talking. Like you got to, you know, come on, dude. <laughs> I love that. I was drinking some water. I think the Heat have better players. Uh, from from you know, if you look at the best what best five players in the series, the, uh, maybe I don't know where you rank Rose in there, but I mean LeBron, right. Wade, and Bosh. I mean, and Boozer's played pretty well. I don't want to totally discount him. I mean, he had a big game last night, but yeah, um, I I just think the Heat. If you want to talk about depth, I mean, look, they played two, three games in the last week, right? I mean, they, they right. get they're getting time off. Now they have a day off in between every game, but um, they've had a chance to rest up. And I don't think depth's really going to be an issue. I think those guys can play, you know, thirty eight, forty minutes a game. Um, and I think matchup wise, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. One thing I was thinking was was, you know, you you and I were talking earlier about. Rose and maybe not having another A level guy alongside him out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, as great as Boozer's played, I, don't you think they need another perimeter guy that yeah. that can? Oh, no question. Run with no Rose out there. The the thing that struck me last night, and I, and I said it to, um, I was you know I was having dinner with some guys you know Michael Lee and Johnny Ludden, yeah. Jacob J Michael Falcons from USA Today, and we were all sitting there talking, and I was thinking to myself. The way Taj Gibson has played in these playoffs, right? I'm not so sure that money they spent on Carlos Boozer wouldn't have been better spent on two backcourt players. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, maybe another guy who could play the role John Sammons did with with Rose. Um, uh, you know, two years ago or whatever it was when he was there, and just right. just somebody that's a big enough threat to take some pressure off Rose and to give Luol Deng a breather. I mean, cause Luol Deng has actually been to me yeah. the bulls number two guy. Um, 
certainly in this series and really throughout the playoffs. He's consistently been the uh, the other Bulls player that stepped up and played big and big moments uh, for them. So I, I think this is this is kind of a this series, and and I I don't remember where I saw it. It may have been on NBA.com. Somebody said this series is kind of a referendum on on Bosch and Boozer, like which one of these guys is going to step up and play big for his team. And I think obviously so far it's been Chris Bosch who who's answered that challenge and also shut up a lot of people that love to, to nitpick his game and criticize him. I kind of I find myself as this series has gone on, as the playoffs have gone on, really the whole season as it's gone on, I've, I find myself appreciating Chris Bosch more and more as – not just as a player, but you know, as, as a journalist covering basketball, this guy he says what he thinks. You know, yeah. it might not be the most popular thing to say, and maybe it's not the right time to say it. But um, he seems to be pretty honest and open with saying things, and uh, I I, I kind of appreciate that. And it's hard to, for me to fault a guy for playing for for being like that. You know, but one thing I'm I'm thinking is if, if you know if you want to pick a winner in the Bosch Boozer sweepstakes from last night. I mean, Bosch had thirty-four and five. Boozer had twenty-six and seventeen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he he was doing a lot of things for the Bulls. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he just doesn't have the the pieces around him the way Bosch does. I don't know. He is the pieces around some. I'm, yeah. The, the, the problem is, he is the pieces. Um, he's the guy that has to play big like that every night in order to give Derrick Rose another. Um, you know, and, Ro- and Rose was the one who was bottled up last night. But again, he's dealing with two. He's dealing with LeBron one second and, and D Wade the next. So uh, it, it is, it's you know, it's a tough call when you look at that series and who who gets to be the the third guy basically for Chicago. They, I don't think they have one if Joe Kim Noah plays the way he played last night. I think it was zero for four. You know, um, yeah, had the run in one point. obviously with the fan and just didn't you know didn't have the impact you'd expect. What I know you spent some time obviously early in the playoffs here in Oklahoma City and um and you I know how much you love this place. You rave about it all the time. Uh when I talked to you, you said you'd move here if you could, but uh have you have you noticed anything about this group that worries you because I'm, I haven't watched them these last few games and getting my first opportunity to be around them on a daily basis. Um yeah. It's such a – I mean, I didn't realize how young they were until I, I started running down their roster and realized, man, they are they are basically a team of 80s babies and Nazi Muhammad. I mean, they don't yeah. have anybody who was – they don't have anybody who even was born during the, the NBA's previous era, you know. Uh, <laughs> these guys these all post-Magic Bird and Jordan babies. So uh, – I. I think Collison and Mahon, Collison and Nazi are the two oldest guys on the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Perkins is the oldest starter. Right. But I, I think for a while there, they were starting an entire starting lineup that was like 22 and, and under um, before Perkins came in. Yeah, before trade, I, yeah. I think, but you know, I think that they, to me, that, I, I mean, that's the obvious thing with them is they just, you see them get in these situations in the playoffs and in big, you know, big moments and I don't really trust them to know that they're going to make the right plays or, or make the right decisions every time, not a particular player, all, all of them. 
And I think that's just something that comes with, you know, the, the longer they're around together, the longer these guys are in the league, the better they become. And I, I you know, I think it's just, I mean, with Dirk, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, these guys have been around a long time and they um, seem to make the right decisions most of the time. Hey, uh, yeah, they a friend sent me this stat last week that the top four players on the Thunder in total of minutes played this season, their average age is like 21 and a half or something. And the Pittsburgh <laughs> Panthers college team, uh, their top four minutes guys were 21.75 uh, in age. Wow. <laughs> I, listen, they are, a, they are an extremely young team. I mean, their growing pains are – are on display for everybody to see too, which I think is another tough thing um, because they don't have anybody to kind of take the heat when things go wrong. I mean, it's Durant and it's been getting roasted, whether he scores 30 or, or yeah. 15, he's taking a lot of, you know, a lot of heat from people. Um, I just, I just noticed some signs of as talented as they are and as, you know, as as hard as they work, because they are a team full of gym rats. That that is not a yeah. It's not a myth. I mean, these guys are. You can tell they work at their games tirelessly. There's just some things about playing this deep into a season that you have to have learned. You know, by fire. You can't you can't conquer it now in the moment. You have to have done this or been here before to know how to handle it. So joining us now on the show is a good friend of ours, uh, NBA.com's very own Scott Howard Cooper, my travel partner uh, for the last <laughs> round of the playoffs. He, he ditched me when, when I got to Oklahoma City. This, this is his town, by the way, too, Lane. He, is a, he would live here on, on Main Street if he could. But uh, he's joining us now to talk a little draft and, uh, and other things. Scott, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Good. I, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna cobble up a little dirt off the street here for you in Oklahoma City and put it in an envelope and mail it to you, just so you, you'll get your you'll get your feel of your favorite place, man. Thanks for recognizing the greatness of the town. <laughs> now, now speaking of the town, you you did uh, you did the pre-draft, um, and I'm and I'm curious what the feel was there. With you know, obviously we have some collective bargaining uh, agreement negotiations to. To go, we know what after that. But what's the feel at this draft in terms of, uh, or at the pre-draft in terms of this crop of guys, and and is it better than it's been advertised? I know a lot of people said it's not a great draft. I mean, is there better talent maybe out there than we've been led to believe? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was Unfor- unfortunately not. At least uh, not yet. Maybe once we get to the next phase, we've got uh, we started off with the, the two big group sessions are Chicago and then on to Minneapolis and then after that things will get into the much smaller groups, the individual workouts team by team and maybe we'll start seeing uh, some more but it's such a strange year when you have two guys projected to possibly go in the top five and four Mm -hmm. or five who could have gone in the top ten or in the lottery drop out of the draft and that's unusual and a lot of people were thinking it was not a great draft before that so what you're going to hear between now and June 23rd is a lot of GMs saying, we, we think we're still going to get somebody good, and you never know how it's going to turn out. And even if you're drafting 10 or 20 or 30, uh, you still have a chance to get somebody good. And all that is true. There's obviously going to be some players that come out of this. 
but you rarely hear a draft talked down as much as you hear this one. And again, this isn't a media thing. This is not a fan thing. This is coming directly from the teams. The people who are being honest with you say that the the depth, the talent level just is not there compared to other years. Mm. Scott, which, uh, which guys at this camp uh, surprised, surprised you? Well, I think uh, Ennis Cantor uh, is a yeah. very interesting situation no matter what. He's a guy that missed all of last season at Kentucky. He's somebody that people saw as a potential top five, maybe even a number three pick going into the year. He ended up sitting out the entire season. He was ruled ineligible by the NCAA because of accepting excessive benefits from a club team in Turkey a couple years ago. This has nothing to do with NCAA violations in Kentucky. This has nothing to do with his uh, with his uh, attitude, his personality, uh, what things he may have done. So it really doesn't impact his NBA status at all. He's not a bad guy. He came to this thing and was one of the few top picks to say, I'm going to work out. I not only want to show people what I can do, and he knows he needs to do that after a year off, but he had this, this excitement about playing that you rarely see. And when he did play, uh, he showed he was in shape. He had some good moments. Uh, and if nothing else, he impressed teams by saying, I'm going to participate in the basketball portion here uh, at a session where most of the top picks generally will sit out. The agents say, don't hurt your draft stock. This is the guy that said, I just want to play ball. And I think that struck a very positive note uh, with a lot of teams out there. Also, I heard some good things about Georgia shooting guard Travis Leslie. This is a guy that's a great, great athlete, but there's been questions about his ability to shoot the ball. He had some very good moments in Chicago. He shot the ball. When my next, next mock draft comes out, I'm going to have him moving up the board. He's a guy that really had had some good moments. He made some money. Scott, how's your how's your the spell checker on your computer? Because I've been looking at the names <laughs> of some of these international big men. You you you're gonna have some work to do now when you when you do that mock draft and start lining these guys up. Who who are these guys for starters? And are they all are these are these real players? Like are these guys that we think will come and make an impact, or are these Niccolo Skidishvili type guys, guys who maybe need some more seasoning overseas before they come to the NBA? Well, the asterisk is pretty much that all these guys need more seasoning before they come to the NBA. That that has right. nothing to do with just the European players. I think that everybody would agree that the number one pick, you could say the same thing, Kyrie Irving, in an ideal situation would get a little bit more college time. That's just an accepted fact for all the players. Mm-hmm. I think that Basically, people see some real hope in a few of these guys, and then in some of the others, it gets into what we were talking about before, that it, because it's a weak draft, somebody that ordinarily may have gone 14, 16, 18, and mm-hmm. maybe not come in with the same amount of hype, now is going to go 8 or 10 or 12. And once you get that lottery pick label, you're looked at differently, as Skiashvili will tell you, as Darko Milicic will tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no question that people think very highly of uh, Ennis Cantor, who we were just talking about, and, and Jan right. Beschley, and uh, so help me Bismack Biombo. <laughs> <laughs> These are the names you're going to be hearing a lot leading up to June 23rd with the draft night in Newark, New Jersey, and then obviously heading towards uh, the, the team's training camp as the hype builds with the individual teams. But I think that that's part of the reason why maybe some of the fans are not as excited about this draft 
as some in the past, is that there's not the name recognition. You know, the, mm-hmm. the guys that they know, uh, most of them have NCAA backgrounds. And even somebody like Cantor, people would know because uh, his story was in the papers quite a bit because he, A, was going to Kentucky, and that's a huge credibility boost. And then when he was not playing at Kentucky, you heard about his story, and, and there was a certain amount of hype. Uh, but it's interesting. You're right. I think that that there's that that's part of it. That there's a lot of wondering about who these guys are, and are we just getting taken again? Scott, uh, Scott, you mentioned some of the names people might not know. One of the names everyone knows, Seku's favorite college player, was um, Jimmer Fredette. <laughs> what what, uh, what was the reaction to, to Jimmer at, up in Chicago? That was good. Uh, you know, he he's a terrific guy, and part of what goes on in Chicago is the teams get a chance to to spend a little uh, social time with the players. There's uh, sort of informal interviews. You'll sit down and talk with them and get to know them a little bit personality-wise. Mm-hmm. That will continue when these guys go to their individual workouts and you get a little bit more time, maybe take guys out to dinner or grab a lunch together depending on the scheduling. And this all goes together with the background checks that teams do on, on the players. But uh, Jimmer had a terrific, made a terrific impression in that way. And I think he had a, I think he had a good impression uh, in the basketball sense. I, I saw him, he had a couple good moments, and then he had the, the other moments that you would expect him to struggle defensively, which is his big weakness. Uh, the feelings are really mixed among Jimmer. In my first draft, I had him going number 12, I saw that David Aldridge had him going number 30, and I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of NBA people, not media people, uh, that probably have him going anywhere in between. Terrific shooter, obviously. The guy is going to be, the guy is going to be scoring the minute he steps off the bus. But there's certainly questions about other parts of his game. Uh, that there's reasons he's not a lock to go in in the top 10, despite the kind of college career that he's had. Scott, at what point in the draft do you think? Uh, the the chance for real steals are going to be had. You know, um, I know so many times. You know, there there are these consensus top, you know, three to seven or eight picks, and then there's another stretch where you kind of have a larger pool of players that fill in there, and then you hit that point where the the Drew Holidays and uh, you know the, the guys like Jameer Nelson and you know maybe in those late twenty early twenties mid twenties. Is that the same in a draft like this where you're going to find the real gems late in, late in the first round? Or might we see some of those even earlier because there's so much unknown about some of these prospects that could go high in the lottery? Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be much earlier. Uh, I agree mm-hmm. with your assessment that most years you have uh, this sort of the plateaus and the different tiers. And this year you have it's, the draft is too deep. You know, you mm-hmm. know it's going to be Kyrie Irving and probably Derek Williams. Uh, then right. you have that next group maybe of number three through number eight or nine or ten. And mm-hmm. I think at that point, that's where you really open yourself up to the real possibilities. Uh, who's going to get a steal? Uh, there's different right. feelings on a, a guy like Tristan Thompson who would fit into that um, who would fit into that area? D- Danitas Montejuanas, uh, one mm-hmm. of the one of your favorite overseas players. <laughs> uh, you know, Jimmer's in that group as well. Jordan Hamilton, I think, is is a right. real interesting player. Uh, he's a guy that that can be. He's one of the real high risk, high reward players of the draft. Uh, the Morris twins from Kansas, uh, mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard uh, from San Diego State. I think all these guys have a chance uh, to go in that range and be a be a boom or bust kind of pick. I think 
probably right around that 10 or 12 spot is where you're going to start finding some real steals as we look back on this draft a couple of years from now. It, so, you know, Scott, sometimes the first five, six picks, we kind of know going into the draft how that's going to shake out. And this year it seems like everyone's saying Kyrie number one and then Derek Williams number two. Is that kind of where it's set? And then from there on it, it could change up? Yeah, I think that's certainly where people are looking now. There's some speculation that uh, Minnesota uh, at number two, and as we all know that they have their unpredictable moments with <laughs> in Minneapolis with that team. Um, there's some speculation that Derek Williams is not necessarily a lock. Uh, they obviously have a fair amount of front court depth there, but what they can't do is take a reach and, and take a point guard. They can't take a shooting guard when there's nobody that deserves to go uh, yeah. at number two. So I think what you're going to end up seeing, what really could start to change the draft quite a bit is, and this is a real possibility, if the Timberwolves make a deal. That's certainly something that we could see happening. The number two pick is in play. Either that or one of the one of the players currently on the Timberwolves roster could get traded, and that would impact, and then Minnesota would keep the number two pick but then have uh, a need to fill with number two, and that could impact what happens there. Uh, that is the one thing that we really need to keep an eye on. Right now, I agree with you. It's Irving, and it's Derek Williams, and then it's the field after that. But depending on what the Timberwolves do at number two, that could change things. Scott, you, you spent so much time, obviously, on the playoffs, and then you have to shift gears pretty hard into the draft. Uh, what's been the general mood from the the decision makers you've spoken to about the potential for other moves that could go on at draft time in terms of trades or anything else and how that's impacted by the CBA negotiations? Uh, there's no question that there are some real possibilities for trade because nobody really loves the draft. That's mm-hmm. part of it. Uh, the, other, the other aspect is the Jazz have two high picks. The Cavaliers have two high picks and a huge trade exception. So what you might end up seeing, Cleveland use the pick at number one and then trade the pick at number four for an established player or players and do some sort of package deal and really help themselves because that trade exception is a is a great chip that is not getting uh, much attention. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is a possibility of trade, but I think what everybody knows going into this is that this is a buyer's market anytime you're dealing with a dealing with the trade in this draft just because unless you have one of the real high picks you're just not going to get a whole lot you're not going to get the same return on you know the number five or seven or nine pick that you would in years past well scott howard cooper of nba.com is joining us uh scott again i I will uh, bring back some trinkets from uh, oklahoma city for you to make sure you you make up for your time lost here uh they They've been asking about you everywhere, the arena, um, Starbucks, all your all your, your haunts. Um, they miss Earl's, you. Earl's you know, Palace. Exactly. There, <laughs> there miss, is no such thing as trinkets in Oklahoma City, only different sizes of pieces of gold. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Scott Howard Cooper, thanks for joining us, sir, on the podcast. We will see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. See you, Scott. Lang, I... Uh, <sighs> I'm I'm really curious about this draft, and Scott brought up one thing that really interests me: is does Cleveland hold on to all that? You know, do they hold on to both those picks with that trade exception 
and do they take Kyrie Irving and kind of start the rebuilding of their franchise or do they shop around and see if there's a, a bigger established fish to be had somewhere maybe and 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 work some magic I think that that's the intrigue that that awaits you know yeah, um, yeah. it's draft so even even though it's not a considered a glamorous draft there's a whole lot that could go on um, between now and draft night to, to put that thing in a different light. Cleveland really has two choices here. I mean, do they try to just accumulate young guys and build from there? Or maybe they can go out and get someone. But I, I think really it's an organizational decision. And, and if the draft isn't as strong as, as in previous years, like people are saying, maybe you try to flip these picks and, and get one guy or, or – you know, at least trade one of these picks for some for some guys, or or maybe picks in a future draft or whatever. But I, I really think organizationally, this is the time for them to kind of, you know, the LeBron thing last summer happened late in the summer. They didn't really have a chance to react fully, right. and maybe this is their chance to to you know they've had a year to figure this out, and now they go forward from here. Uh, much like John Wall last year was for the Wizards, do you think maybe Kyrie Irving is the the fresh young point guard? You know, maybe that you build. You start your rebuilding process around, like use him as the the centerpiece for this thing, or do you, or do you like some people I've talked to not think he or do, you know that he's not that kind of guy, like he's a good I, player, but maybe not a franchise pillar that you build around. I, honestly, I mean, what he played eleven college games. I, I, didn't <laughs> I know it's hard play. to know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I mean, John Wall was on all the time in college and in the tournament and all that, and I didn't really see Kyrie Irving play much at all because I usually don't even watch till the tournament, so. Uh, I didn't really get a feel for him. I, this is the first time that I think you're going to see this, you know, this guy coming out that no one's really seen play all that much. At least, you know, casual college fans um, or NBA fans who don't really get a chance to watch a lot of college basketball. So I, I don't, I don't really know the answer. I, I think it's going to be whatever they decide. I did see Derek Williams play a lot, and I think he's a really nice kind of complimentary type player. Yeah. But I don't think he's the kind of you know. A one personality you build a franchise around, right? Well, it's gonna it's gonna be very uh, telling to see what goes down around draft time. The coaching searches we talked about earlier with uh, our first guest Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle, and uh, and certainly the draft stuff we discussed with NBA.com Scott Howard Cooper. It's it, there's a lot going on, Lang, with that and the finals and all all this other stuff. We gotta we gotta get together uh, finals week and and get this thing rolling. Make sure we. Uh, get kind of a live broadcast from wherever we are and uh you know could be i guess it could it can only be a couple of places you know obviously yeah. it could only be chicago miami no has, city or has, dallas at least the home it's got to be chicago or miami has home that's right and it can only be either yeah so uh, it's either going to be chicago or miami chicago miami or yeah um so yeah we'll we'll figure it out and uh we'll but make next sure week, we, and next week next monday is memorial day but then we got a, a special guest the day after, I know Mike has right. been. That's right. Mike has been working hard to to secure, negotiating hard. I hope I hope he told him that we don't pay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we'll so we'll we'll get we'll get back on it and uh, try and figure some of this stuff out between now and then, and uh, maybe maybe these series will have played out to the point where we can have a, a real clear indication of what what the finals will look like and kind of what that matchup will be. We'll do some previewing of that as well. So uh, we appreciate you for joining us uh, this week on yet another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Our guests, Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle and Scott Howard Cooper of NBA.com. We appreciate them coming on, and we'll see you next time. 
Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do.